All right, welcome back to the podcast. Usually here's where Michael says attack for 20, but we have a new co-host, Fina Black. Attack for 20! We're going to recap U.S. Nationals, and we have also joining with us a special guest. I'm making the finals, Dan. Hey, thanks for having me. So one of the first things that I kind of wanted to do <laughs> is just do a quick recap of your event, Dan, why you chose to play Fi, as well as how the drafting portion was for you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it was quite the weekend. It's definitely a, a good one. Uh, I'll start with the Phi question, I guess. That really goes back to PT Will. Why did I play Phi? I didn't enjoy the Rune Blades very much. Too many hands that didn't attack well. And I had a week before the event to lock in on something. So Phi seemed like the obvious choice there. Because it's very consistent. And seemed to already match the damage. Uh, so our... Yonji's and I teammate, Shane, had a pretty spicy build for Phi that he gave me to start testing. And immediately I was like, well, this is great. Uh, that was like a combo Phi where we had a bunch of like toolkit options to use off of the pouncing links. So I played that for a week. We kind of just optimized it to make our hard matchups a little bit better. So that's why I locked it in for the last event. Uh, after that event, I moved into a house the first time owning a home. So I knew my time was pretty limited. So I was like, I don't know, 95% locked on Phi for Nats as well. Unless some like jarring issues with the deck came up. Like some, if we couldn't beat Oldham or something like that. That proved to not be the case. Uh, we worked pretty hard on changing the build to attack the expected meta, which was Oldham, Icelander, and the three aggro decks, the Tune Room Blades, and Phi. And we got it to a pretty... I'd say even very favorite spot against all the aggro decks. It pretty much felt like they had to high roll us or we would win. Icelander felt that way as well. And then Oldham was very close. It felt like it got to the point where no, neither of the heroes wanted to be facing the other. And I think that's good enough. It seemed like the prevailing wisdom was that, you know, the ice decks were good into aggro. Uh, what made it so that way your, your game plan into these ice decks was actually kind of flipping that matchup where you're happy bringing this into a potential ice meta. Yeah, for sure. So our, our big thing, I think, that I loved about the deck is we really focused on flexibility with our attacks. So like we, we got it to a spot where regardless of what disruption was thrown, most of the time we had an efficient play still. Uh, so things like a lot of three blocks, uh, a couple extra blues and energy potions for those ice decks. Uh, the biggest one by far was Enlightened Strike. Uh, like, regardless of what the Disruptive deck presents, E-Strike presents a, a good enough play. Uh, it's not always the craziest, but E-Strike for 7 is amazing. If you have to block 6 to stop, like, a Spinal or something. Or you can even block 5, right? Because Spinal doesn't matter at that point. Uh, even against, say, Icelander, like, you can AB3 take the Frostbite that they're presenting, and then just pitch a card and still E-Strike for seven. Stuff like that. Just having very flexible hands that still present damage, uh, regardless of what's going on. So you're like basically able to play the game to some capacity no matter what. Correct. And uh, are the, you like waiting to just have this like one big explosive round where like shields are down, they didn't like strip your hand on a round or something like that? Yeah, it's that we're hoping to. Like, the game plan is very much to just chip and out value. Like, we have very efficient two and three card hands. Uh, like, the classic three card seven by hand's very good. We can do three card 13 if we have 
uh, or two card seven rather, three card thirteen with lava burst. Hmm. Uh, the Easter Spike adds an additional three card thirteen line because we can go uh, starter weapon or twelve rather. You can go starter weapon, pick up a flame, and then Easter Strike for seven, which is pretty good. No, it's thirteen. So just, so just very efficient. Yes, exactly. I think the main strength of the deck at the time was a lot of the kind of disruptive decks, I would say, were trying to shut off like a particular line of play. So like they against like Briar, like the Oldham wants to like choke slam on their CMH turn, or like against Fi, it's like, okay, well if I attack you with choke slam or like crush the weak, or if I attack you with spinal crush and you can't like I get to take your turn, but just like avoid trying to like have it so that some of your hands just like line up their hit trigger doesn't do it anything or very little kind of nets you like the win and like the value game do you yeah, not exactly. feel like you're maybe playing like a mm. almost like a fairer version of phi compared to a normal phi since you're playing all these just like efficient lines instead of high spike damage bursty high rolly things uh i think from a certain perspective that's fair but I think it also could feel even more unfair because we block so well and we like actively want to. Mm -hmm. um, so we're like, usually Fies don't handle hit triggers very well, like Briar with all the snatch effects uh, or Vistrai with the mouse guys, where our entire game plan is just to block all of those every time. So your, your game plan in the aggro mirrors was actually to trade cards, not just let's just see whose five card hands line up better. Exactly, because we, we knew ours was more efficient um, most of the time. Uh, obviously, if they high roll, that's the, always the, the catch. Um, but yes, and any draw effects or any, any like plus damage effects, the game plan was almost always to block it. Obviously, if you have a hand that... is like the most value in either direction attacking or blocking, kind of? For the most part, yeah. Um, like it's hard to value draw effects a little bit, but... Hmm. Those are like 100%. You just block them. And the, mm -hmm. the Furnace really helps with that. That lets you block two of them. You get to go Furnace plus Chuko for one, and then Furnace plus a three block for the next. Because they're always fours. I wanted to add that most of the Icelander decks that we thought were around were built in a way that was like a little bit different from what Michael Hamilton brought to the table. Mm -hmm. So like against those Icelander decks, they're actually playing like a kind of exploitable strategy where... Their like average damage output is quite low, so I know that a lot of other five decks weren't playing like AB three, and against like the higher arcane damage builds, like because their total throughput is lower, you can really like. I think the biggest like misconception was that Fi is like the beatdown because he's like the aggro deck, but actually like the Icelander is kind of like the beatdown because the Icelander has to avoid getting like outvalued every single turn. Did your uh, game plan with the deck? change at all when you did see a uh, physical Icelander. Did you see any other physical Icelanders other than Michael? Uh, Michael was the only one I saw. When we played in Swiss, I did pivot slightly. I changed the Nelverune Hood to be Mask of Momentum. And what was your... Uh, in Swiss, did you win or lose that? Uh, so I won that one. Um, like, slight asterisk. It was round seven of day one. We were both pretty exhausted. There was It was an optimal play on both sides, I'll, I'll say that. Wouldn't know what that's like. Yeah, it, it it was very close. <laughs> what, what's right is these three tested. I would probably lean towards the mask again if I could replay the final. But as long as you stick to the game plan and like execute on it, I think either one is reasonable. I think there is one thing that is kind of notable from what I heard. 
Michael Hamilton didn't even like really spend a ton of time testing mm-hmm. before nationals. So the list that he ended up winning with is somewhat unoptimized. And so like one of the additions that you could bring to the table is like, for example, you could play Kraken Aethervane and then that like really polarizes the matchup in a way that like wasn't really seen. I love that card in that style. Oh, give me a card. We chatted about the deck list for a bit while we were waiting for the other uh, like top eight matches to play. Um, And I I agree with him. I think the, the best Icelander is like some version of what he's doing. Like you're saying, other decks can just outvalue with the low damage that the more traditional builds do without the like three for eights and these strikes. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. I'm sure we'll see a much more optimal builds in in Worlds because that deck seems like it could be very real. Obviously, it's real because it won. But do you guys think that the deck is the the, the physical Icelander list is any worse now that people are kind of aware that it's a thing? Because one thing that mm-hmm. was always on my mind when, because I, I was considering uh, a, a list similar to that, I was working on that like a little bit on the side with Cody, uh, and and my concern with that list originally was just, does this get worse after scouting? Where like a lot of the list, its power could come from surprise factor potentially, where your opponent's like, oh no, I didn't know that you're gonna start punching me in the mouth. Um, where if they know you're gonna do that, maybe they play different or board different. Like, oh, I know you're playing all these attacks, so potentially I do something like, for example, bring in sinks. I don't know if that's correct. Uh, just like a for example, something like mm-hmm. that. Does does that style get worse now that the cat's out of the bag uh, or after scouting? What do you guys think? I think scouting, not so much. But after practicing against it, like actually knowing your optimal setups, it definitely gets way worse. Um, but like, because like Icelander presents so many mixed like things you have to deal with like it's arcane it's big attacks for eight now and it's disrupting you and taxing you and taking cards so like without practicing into it it's hard to like theory craft the optimal strategy um so like obviously everyone by the top knew what kind of ability was playing so it was it was difficult to get that one right but i think after people take the time to test against it and people definitely will uh it certainly gets worse I will say that one thing, so anybody who talks to me knows sometimes I say like, oh, this deck's not real or that deck's not real or mm-hmm. it is real. So to me, like a deck that isn't real is a deck that once you kind of figure out the right strategy to play against it, you can beat it almost every time. Mm-hmm. Whereas decks that are real present questions that are difficult to answer and sometimes you have to draw the right cards and your stuff has to line up correctly. So even if you know exactly how it is that you can beat them, you don't always beat them. Mm-hmm. And I think that the value generated by the cards that you're choosing to play in Icelander, if you choose to run the attacks, uh, place the deck more under like the real category because... You can't really outthink big numbers, you know, you just have to deal with them, right? Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, exactly. Like I was saying, it does all these mixed things that you have to, like, deal with and answer correctly. I, de- I definitely think it's real. It just gets a little easier once you know, like, what's optimal to play into it. But I think that's, like, our five list. Uh, it's kind of the same thing where, we're like, we got deck lists in top eight. And I think for our list, like, we don't really care if you have our list when we're playing against you because 
like I said, it's presenting like three different relevant hit effects most turns. Um, so it's not like you can be like waiting for the right one. Like we start the first chain link when we can with like mounting anger, right? And then immediately it's like, well, if you commit two cards there, now my mask momentum is easy. It's, I think it, it's similar in that way. Yeah, you wanted to talk about the differences between the U.S. Nationals meta and kind of kind of the whole world, or not the whole world, but a lot of the other large nationals. So kind of just to paint the picture, I feel like the U.S. Nationals meta, most notably the predominant deck was Phi, which was not the case at any of the other nationals, and it could be because of the recent success of the U.K. Nationals Phi list. However, I do uh, know that a lot of the better performing Phi decks at the Nationals, not even from people who were working with us or submitting Ember Blade. It look it seems like there were fewer Rune Blades. You were saying that you found Rune Blade to be favorable at, uh, on Phi, correct? Yeah, we we did for sure. So, like, what are you trying to face there? If you're as the Rune Blade. What's what's your positive matchup? Let's talk a little bit about why like what rune blade strengths were before and then maybe like why it's kind of fell out of favor uh by us nationals i actually think that rune blade still has a spot and i have some ideas but i would like to love to hear what you guys think first i'm not much of a rune blade aficionado uh kind of similar to what you were saying earlier dan of uh some of the issues you have with the class i really had issues with the class i uh not a very lucky person so the the whole like yeah, you got to draw attacks and non-attack style. Usually doesn't uh, agree with me. I'm very, very bad at uh, landing 50-50s. <laughs> um, so I've never enjoyed playing that class. But um, I don't know. It seems like there could be something there. Like, Iyer does have the ability to just roll over control decks with its, like, high roll ability. It, it seems like both of them have game into control. I think the two room blades are pretty different. I haven't played them a ton, just a little bit. But Versailles, I think, can do similar to Fi, where it offers very consistent three-card hands with their Mob Skies, big attack, Rosetta Thornline, which is usually, what, 11 to 13 plus damage. And Briar offers, like, the ability to just spike games. Like, if you get to creep your Force of Nature, draw some cards, combo with Mount Heroic, like, you just win. Uh, if they can't stop your draw effects and you just get to pop off. I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts, Yonji? I think it mostly has to do with how the a lot of the Guardians are kind of preparing their choice of cards that they're playing. So yeah. if Briar is getting targeted, Briar is getting targeted with cards like Choke Slam and uh, a lot, I, th I think a lot of Oldhams are playing stuff like Winner's Bite and Hypothermia to kind of like shut off the... They're like bigger turns and on like similarly hypothermia is also like really good out of Icelander to like fight against like Viserai. But hypothermia as a card doesn't really affect Phi as much because so many of his attacks have natural go again. So I think it has to do with kind of like the card choices that a lot of the control players are making. And so like you said, like the Rune Blades are kind of different decks, but I think they do share uh, a common weakness which is most of their attacks don't have go again and then part of their strength is giving their attack go again and then being able to attack with weapon and so there's like a lot of ways to attack that which i don't think the control decks were like fully trying to attack fine the same way your your file list was trying to do the thing where you're like no, no no it's fine i'll block with some cards and then still have a round 
Uh, it could be that the rune blades are having a much harder time having a, a game plan like that. And maybe they, we could see that strategy implemented into the rune blades where they have more efficient two card hands. Cause it seems like a lot of what they're trying to do at a minimum needs three. And they really want more than that to like, it's like, why am I playing this deck? Well, I'm playing this deck. So I have this like crazy four or five card hand. And if I can't do that, then why am I even playing this deck sometimes? Mm-hmm. I think the other angle that Phi has that the Runeblades are missing is that as soon as the disruptive decks like miss a disruption turn, Phi's like 90% to have a turn that says you need to do some blocking here. They just have a hand of like nothing as the Runeblade where they're like, yep, these pieces don't really line up to you have to block. It's just a number on a card. Yeah, whereas five, if there's no disruption, you're getting to at least chant like five. Yeah, I think runeblades yeah. usually do best when there's like a light amount of disruption available because like the five mm-hmm. card runeblade hands are just like so powerful. Yep. But a lot of the decks right now are kind of geared towards stopping you from playing five cards. I think Viserai's two card hands are usually atrocious. Mm-hmm. I was actually playing E-Strikes in my Viz list. Uh, in the battle hardened in Singapore before I was like uh deciding what to play a Leal for that reason. I don't know. It's just like uh, it's like adding consistency into your deck. I think that's like a little bit lacking. Mm-hmm. I think Viserai, you're like too incentivized to play Rune Blade attacks. And Briar, you're yep. like also like a little bit too incentivized to play all these like small attacks that just like help you like chain off during like your channel heroic turns. I thought what was really interesting, at least for me on Talishar, it kind of like <laughs> fully advertised the expected meta like it played out as it happened on there like three weeks before the event i played oldham at least half the time and then starting maybe two weeks before it was like nothing but five this is five 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 it's like okay i guess everybody's on fine now um but it was mostly ember blade i think at that time and then like and the oldhams were playing uh stalagmite and then a week before the event, all the Oldhams were suddenly on Rampart, and all the Fives are suddenly on Kadachis. And I think that's what the majority of the ones at the event I saw. I, I wonder if maybe that could be a time zone thing, too, because mm. I was playing at weird times a lot of the time, and I was still queuing into mostly old him all the way up until like a few days before the event when I stopped playing. Okay. Interesting. Hmm. That's, yeah, that's a weird thought. I'll look into that some more later. Ask right. my opponent where they're from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> U.S. Nationals was mixed. It was a mixed format tournament, so we had yep. six rounds of draft in addition to eight rounds of CC and Swiss. How did you find the drafting portion? Also, did you listen to our podcast beforehand? Uh, not the most recent one, but yes, I've, I've listened to every other episode, and I, I enjoy them a lot. I also live like 20 minutes from you guys and play draft with you all the time. So we, we share some similar knowledge there. Um, yeah, no, draft is super interesting. It's always a little stressful in this format. Like everyone's shooting for 2-1, which is not normal, right? Like usually the, the top players are like, I have to 3-0 draft. Did I always um, try to draft a 3-0? Yeah, there you go. Me too. Yeah, I think I, I was very like happy and proud with how I navigated my drafts. Uh, the first one was... Pretty interesting. I got I got a, like a I'd call it a lucky pack one because it was like easy signal sending. Uh, I had a pack that had like three extremely good Icelander cards. Um, 
like red, Aether Ice Vein, and a good blue, and I think like a red, uh, whatever the one for four is called, I forget the name right now. Um, and then every Draconic card was just terrible, like really bad. And there was a Sash. So it's like, this is the easiest Sash of my life. Uh, two people somewhere are going to see this pack and go Icelander because there's like three commons that were good. Mm. Um, and no one's going to early commit off of this pack to anything Draconic. So it's like, easy Sash, we'll play Joe Meyer Fi. Um, then I started leaning Dromai because I got like a pick three Asvalai, which isn't the craziest, but like zero cost dragons are pretty good and it's like super premium in the mirror, I think. And getting past that's a pretty good indicator that the person yep. to your right isn't valuing it. Exactly. Um, so I leaned that way. I got some packs where it felt like I lost confidence that Dromai was the way, maybe like pick five or six. So I took a yellow starter, just in case, just to kind of hedge. I didn't really like sacrifice too much for it. And then I forget what the next pick was, but it was very clear that, okay, Fi's open. We're going to go that way. So I pretty much went Fi the rest of the way. I had a pretty good deck from what I remember, uh, like good enough that I felt very confident getting a 2-1 with the chance of 3 0 I don't remember it super well, but I believe I... I don't know what decks I played against, actually. I, I believe I won the dice for all the first two games and went second, and it just played out how it plays out as Fi. I did like 10 damage, set a card. Or rather, I went second. Yeah, yeah. 10 damage, set a card, and then make them start blocking on my second turn and just never what stop. What was your draft record? Uh, 3-0 for both. Yeah, I don't remember the first one super well. The second one... So it was after going 7-0 day one, playing Fi every round. So I went into it kind of thinking like these guys might think I have a bias towards Fi and that I might force it. Um, so I thought it was in my favor to not force Fi, but to heavily signal that I'm in Fi and to lean that way if I can. And that kind of just worked out. Uh, pack one, it was like extremely clear that there was two Fi's at maximum, which is pretty crazy. Uh, so for pack two, I got extremely greedy. Uh, I like prioritized equipment over everything. I think I first picked Sash and then second pick Heatwave. Is Heatwave the right card? I feel like that's just correct. That's not the other direction. <laughs> I, see, I go the other direction on the equipment, but I'm, I'm still in the mindset where I don't really value equipment as highly because it doesn't like send the signal necessarily. Because like if I take that out of the pack, I'm not telling the person to my left what I am. Sometimes it can, but like... Well, this is pack two though. Yeah. Oh, pack two then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying oh, pack one. Phi was extremely open. There's two of us maximum. Mm. Um, I, I feel like it's correct for Phi to pick the equipments early. I think. Yeah. The <laughs> the dynamics are a little bit different depending on how many people you're trying to contest. Yes. Yes. But I was like, I know I'm gonna get all the starters and stuff I need. I just want this free like plus four damage minimum. Mm -hmm. Um. So I did that, and then I took all of my like. Draconics and generics before taking any ninja cards. Like I got like I took like back to back lava bursts and all that good stuff. I'm like, I'll get starters later. I only had like three at the time. Oh. Um so good. And it actually pushed one of the the Dromais, I guess, into Fi when I did that. Uh but like it was super late. And I I don't know if he was on my left. I think it was close to one of the other Fi's. So then pack three I took like nothing but starters. And I knew it was more up in that direction, right? Because of pack one. 
So I was just like, I'm just going to take every starter, finish the deck, and it was great. Uh, and then I actually paired into that Fi, who moved late the first round, and even said like his deck was a little low power as a result. But that draft went the same, where I think I won... First round was a Fi Mirror. I won the dice roll, I got to go second. Yeah, I think I ended that game with a Lava Burst into Tide Flippers, Lava Burst, or something like that. The all two card 10. Yep, yep, to end <laughs> the chain. I think the next game was against an Icelander. Man, I really don't remember. I threw out that draft too. I know that. Uh, the last round was against a Dromai who had like nine or ten rakes or something. They were just like, I'm not losing to Icelander ever. But they didn't have a great game plan into Fi, admittedly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, draft, draft went very well for me. Second one, the drafting experience itself was a bit easier because what I was hoping would happen happened. But I think I had a good game plan going into it. I, I wanted to ask, how do you feel about Worlds being Uprising draft? It's like the, it's like another like big tournament with like basically the same format. Uh, I'd say mixed feelings. It feels like a missed opportunity. Like I think it, it would have been cool with all the like adding butts in there to do two different draft formats at Worlds. Maybe that's too much to practice for. Um, which is my other, I guess my positive feeling is that we can all practice blitz now and figure that format out because we've been drafting this set at a high level for so long. I would have been down for just WTR draft. That'd be fine too. I don't know. I'm like torn on this set. I, I enjoy drafting this set. I think the games are extremely interesting and fun when they are and extremely not when when they're not and Fi gets to go second and just has 10 damage into 20 damage and there's nothing you can do. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I just feel like it's very punished. Like this one is very punishing. I feel like most of my games that I do have an advantage it's like very thin like i have like a win but i'm winning by like one or two points mm-hmm. yeah, I, yeah, like I find that a lot too how much is decided on the play draw of the format that really irritates me i think that's only true if you just like force fi a lot i actually think the other two mm-hmm. heroes have like quite a bit of play either way yeah i think they're both fine i think if you're fi and you go first against the fi it's like you have to have breaking point on your second turn or you just lose <laughs> is where i'm at well you have to like push a lot of damage on the first turn going hey, like, no, i'm saying you, going first yeah like if you go first i think if you push a lot of damage on oh the first yes, turn, yes yes that that is definitely another line and you like sure. and you get to open up like five or six points on their mm-hmm. like hand that doesn't block very well mm-hmm. yeah that was by far my favorite part of our <laughs> cc fight list is going first and seeing how high i can get that number of leak damage all right, now to cap off <laughs> the Nationals discussion. Uh, like, how do you feel? How do you guys feel about CC as we're moving forward into like a couple battle hardens, uh, a ban suspend update, as well as Worlds upcoming in about a little bit over a month? So let's let's start with just thoughts on the meta in general. I guess going forward. I'd like to see the meta be allowed to naturally develop. Like we saw this very spicy Icelander deck win the event. So we, we have no idea where that even fits in the meta. Like I don't think anyone at that event had an optimal strategy against it. We had what Oldham's getting hard countered by this insane control dash that heals six every turn. Our file list, which people have practiced into now. I, I don't know. I feel like there's a the meta was very healthy at our nationals and 
there's a bunch of new stuff that came out of it. I think the meta's in a good spot. I agree. It's a healthy meta. My thing isn't so much the health of it, it's the fun of it. And I'm personally not having fun with the meta right now, but that might just be because I'm not, I haven't found a deck that I'm enjoying at the moment. I don't really like any of the hero choices at the moment. That's uh, just personally something that's important for me as a player uh, and my enjoyment with the game. But I think this is one of the healthiest metas I've played in a card game in a long time. It feels like a lot of different strategies are viable. It feels like a, a lot of heroes are viable. It feels like there's a lot of counterplay within them and then counterplay to the counterplay. So it's just this yep. continual growth, like you're saying, the, the, just the meta developing naturally. Um, and it's really fun watching that, seeing the, the puzzle kind of solve itself over time. Doesn't feel like there's any degen deck right now i think the only thing is that i really wish worlds had dynasty kind of thrown into the mix somehow mm -hmm. i think the biggest thing that's missing to i think level out the playing field for a lot of decks is that they're just like missing cards mm. and then the best decks right now are just like decks that aren't missing cards i think to your point fina i feel like you, i think you play dromaya the at nationals as well as the calling Mm -hmm. I had given that deck like a little bit of a try, but I felt like that deck is just like two or three cards short of being like a complete deck idea. It's like yeah, some of the some of the cards just like don't work together. And I felt the or same the way. It just falls apart on its own. Yeah, and I kind of felt the same way about Vizarai at first before like uh, Everfest came out. You do like this one thing, but then you're also playing like a bunch of like cards that don't really like work with your game plan. So yeah, like I had two rounds where I <clears> opened <throat> the game with I can't take a game action pass. Like, that is cursed. Yep. Uh, one of the games I lost in the calling, the top 10 cards in my deck didn't let me take a game action. What the Jeez. hell? You should try Fi, man. It's nothing but game <laughs> actions. <laughs> <laughs> and it was extra cursed because it was against Ultim, and the top 10 cards were all things I needed for my pitch stack to finish the game out, like burn the yep. malls and stuff. And I was like, I can't, I'm not allowed to block with these. I can't play these. I can't do anything. Guess I'll just die. Yeah, I think that's the, that's kind of how I felt as well when I was like testing it. One thing that I really hope that LSS does in the future, maybe I'll do this with Living Legend format. I always felt like the rate that heroes were Living Legend was like a little bit too fast. And although like if Starvo or Chain were still around, obviously they would still kind of be dominant. Mm -hmm. But I would like to see the game after like a bunch more sets come out to kind of see like what all these heroes like whether or not like if there's like a level playing field after heroes get more support yeah were they just broken because limited options type of situation yeah exactly i i'm personally mostly curious to see what the game looks like after we start getting the new replacement heroes because, you know, mm -hmm. we've been hearing about that for uh, like a year now that that's like, this is the plan for Living Legend. And now we've got these Living Legend heroes. Okay, where's my replacements? You just want the new prism. prism. You just want the new prism. <laughs> yes. Prism 2, Boogaloo. I need my waifu back. Yeah, it's like the, I feel like the supplemental sets can always be like the craziest game changing power spikes, or it could be like, uh, Everfest to a degree where it was just like all the best decks get all the best cards in the set and they're still the best decks. Yeah, if you're mm -hmm. Brew, you got Rolling Thunder. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they got the two for eight, right? Yeah, yeah. But that's one card. 
Yeah, that's true. How do you how do you feel about playing Fi moving into worlds? Spoiling his deck already? That's rude. No, no I was just saying like how he feels like whether or not he even wants to. Right, right, right. I mean, I think I commented on before. Like, I think the way our build is, I, I guess, knowing the defensive game plan, uh, the the like room blades and stuff could adjust. But in terms of like the offensive plan of our deck, I don't think people knowing the deck, practicing against the deck matters too much. Because again, we're presenting multiple questions to our opponent right. every combat chain. Like if I had to lock in a deck today, I would have no issue locking in our exact five list. I just don't yeah. want to deal with endless winners. So yeah. Yeah, sometimes they don't matter. Sometimes they're like, oh, that's real bad. Yeah, the worst is when you have to block them. Yep. It's basically just like you're you're passing. Usually all of our episodes, I try to like sneak in one little educational thing, I think, for the people who are listening. And I think this is something that I think has like a little bit of application to our Fi deck as well as like uh, playing into Oldham. So I wanted to, maybe you guys already know about this concept. I want to talk about the concept of like implied value of cards versus like the actual, like what they're presenting at face value. <clears throat> so for example, a card like Snatch has a face value of four damage. But it has like an implied value if you don't block it. And when you and and then depending on like what deck you are, when you block it, you are also exchanging value. I think that implied value is like really important when you're uh it's usually something that's a little bit more important for deck construction uh than it is for limited. Most of the time in limited, I feel like the the, the most of the cards are just like the numbers are what they are. Yeah. Uh, but... Although, I... yeah, go ahead. So I was gonna say, in my second draft, I had two red engulfing flame waves, and those have a uh, a bit of implied value. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think when it comes to, especially like when we were prepping prepping for the hold him five mirror, I think a big part of it is about reducing the amount of implied value that old him gets on his attacks, because I kind of thought. And maybe the end, you you felt the same way that the matchup is kind of like a big like value fest. Like who can yep. like grind the more numbers yep. out? Basically, like on the oldem side, they're just trying to get you to block with as many cards as possible to reduce your total like value or like efficiency. Um, I was gonna say in, in regards to oldem, we cared so much about mitigating that that you cut Art of War from the deck and Belittle. Uh, because those don't work off of work hard hands and like the choke slam effects. And we just went all in on the, you get no value from your hit effects. They're just going to hit. Uh, and it was decently effective, but I don't know. Why, why did you switch off of that game plan? Um, yeah, so this is like in the early brewing stages. I tried like a pure mid-range Fi list where it was like a lot more three blocks very few cards that let you really go over the top, but also you just like never get ganked for blocking. And I think the reason why I moved off of it was because I found the aggro matchups to actually be quite difficult. Because you kind of trying to say earlier about like the, the it being like a fair version of Fi, because yeah. like if you're the the fair version, well the the more aggressive versions <clears throat> probably favored in that kind of mirror. 
And that's what I think it was at that point. But yeah, you guys found a, a way to play the matchup with the, the, the blocking to compensate for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and then without belittle and art of war, it's very difficult if they have at all good turns, mm-hmm. they just like kind of like <clears> you had a mass trigger every now and then. And then they just like pile on the value and you don't have like a recourse to that. Going back to implied value, though, I think that's part of why Fi is so good, right? Like, Masco Momentum is just every attack has one third of implied value on it. And yeah. And just plan accordingly, which is hard. Yeah. And then one of the things um, that I wanted to say for like the listeners to make it like a little bit more uh, like grounded in numbers is that like basically like implied value is. If I'm Oldham and I attack you with a Spinal Crush, every card that you block that blocks for two instead of blocking for three, I'm already going like kind of plus one on that because the base value of a card is like around three. Uh, but then also if like for the Fly hands, like Dan kind of gave off the numbers, but usually it's like a, a two card hand does seven against Oldham. A two-card hand trades for like a card and does three usually, and a three-card hand usually trades for a card and does seven. Like the four-card hand is kind of where you can like really push the damage above. So your like fourth card is worth like four or five points of damage. Like the like usually for these aggro decks, the each like additional card scales like a little bit better than the previous one. If you are Oldham and you attack with a Spinal Crush and you get the Phi to block two cards, you're also kind of shutting off like between eight to nine or even more than nine points of damage by having them uh, block two cards. I think I I know uh, expected value or whatever you're calling it by not by this name, but would you say it's basically like the reasonable expectation of the impact of a card on the game or the game state, essentially. Yeah, it's like uh, like I played this final. I'm expecting that you're not going to have a big round now. Like that is that is the implication of this card. Right, right. But as a way for people who are listening to give like a more concrete like understanding of well, what is the actual like numerical way mm-hmm. that it affects the game? So, for example, in the situation that Dan suggested, like. If you if you throw a spinal and then the five blocks two cards blocks for five, and it throws an e strike for seven, then essentially they had a twelve point total damage round where they got to block five points of damage and threatened seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, so compared to like an average hand, like four card hand, maybe that four card hand should have done like around fifteen. So you got like plus three on that one, and that's like with like a hand that mitigates the spinal pretty well. Mm-hmm. that makes sense i usually come from this kind of concept in more of a terms of like tempo uh than math but that's also me being the illusionist player mm-hmm. that i am where the math is oh wonky my on all my stuff yeah. prison math i don't i still don't know how to do prison math <laughs> like what is this aura actually worth Pr- prison I, I, players are english are english I students i couldn't even explain the math behind the stuff i just understand yeah. the tempo of it yeah for for like aggro decks though, I think that's one of the easiest early level ups is just assigning or understanding a numerical value to all of your cards and blocks and decisions and like making value based decisions instead of like feeling, if that makes sense. 
Like the, so, the game is very mathematical at its base, especially when you're playing aggro. Uh, a funny card for that concept too is a race face where it's like could have value. <laughs> Ooh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, we, let's talk about that example. You get around or yeah. uh, just take six. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, let's talk about that example. So, for example, let's say you hit a phi within a race face, right? Unless they have cards that specifically care about draconic chain links to have go again, other than the Ember Blade, usually you're turning off um, some amount of damage. But if they can sequence their turn so that they end with Ember Blade, and then essentially you shut off their Phoenix Flame. Which so, is one or two. Yeah, so it's you're affecting the math by like one or two usually, mm. at least. Which is reasonable. Like two cards, seven or eight is fine. It's just not exciting. Yeah. What you want to be doing against a deck that's like, here's 20 every turn. Yeah, versus you throw in a race face and it hits against the Visarai. Mm. Their Mavrian Skies has no text and neither does their um hero power so if their hand was like mavrian skies shrill a blue and some other card that they were okay blocking with they can't um their best like line at that point is to create a rune chain with their grasp and like throw the shrill so you've basically turned their like 14 point hand where it's like a three point block plus threatening like uh, a shrill with like an implied value plus their weapon for 11 face damage plus however much like damage you're going to lose from blocking uh and, and instead converting it into like either they throw like a three card like eight or they just like block and an arsenal card so in that case like the like numerically the erase face works out a lot better which kind of like should be what people are considering when they're deciding okay like do i play choke slam do i play erase face do i play command and conquer like all these cards that have that like have disruptive effects uh have their disruptive effects due to the implied value that the card generates i think a good thing to think about after that not to go into in this particular podcast would just be and then does that matter in this particular matchup? Like, is yeah. is that what this is even about? Like, cool. Like, example, the race face thing. I got you for an extra two points of damage because you had to sequence weird or you didn't get to play your Phoenix Flame. Does that even matter? Is that what this game is even about? Whereas in a race face versus a, a dash, that could be an interesting one where it's like, yeah, I made them block with two cards because this turns off their whole deck. Does that matter? Were they perfectly happy blocking with two cards anyways? Because that meant that your round was just pushing a race face. It's like figuring out the the real nuances of what matters in a particular matchup. And that that's an interesting thing that I like to think about. Mm -hmm. Don't know if you want to include this into the cast because it's going long, but uh, do you want to do any like funny stories or anything from uh, Nationals? Like, do you want to, do you want to tell people about the bad beats of the battle hardened? That That's a funny story. Oh, bad beat. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, we can include this. <laughs> so, I, I, I don't. Okay, I don't actually consider this a bad beat story because, honestly, like, I could have made top eight of the battle hardened if I just like played correctly. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it is pretty. It, it is like a pretty funny story. So, uh, I lose round five of the battle hardened. Round six, I am just gonna pair up against somebody else and just like I don't know, pray to the matchup, the tiebreaker gods. 
maybe I can sneak in, right? I get paired up against this guy who I recognize, but I don't recognize him because he's from my pod. I recognize him because we register each other's decks. And then I do, me and him both do a double take. I'm like, wait, you're not in my pod. He's like, no, I'm not. And we asked the judge and we're like, um, is this correct? And the judge's like, yep, that's correct. Somebody from your pod dropped and his whole pod dropped. And that's why Gem is pairing you guys. Yeah, didn't he like get like, two buys in a row or something because his opponents just weren't there? Yeah, so his story is also pretty funny. He uh, he three owed. Oh man, I'm blanking on his name right now. Uh, he was wearing like all these like Sneep. His he's on a team. It's called Sneep, uh, like Snap Keep. And there's like a snapping turtle with a little like castle keep on it. It's pretty cool. Gave me oh, some nice. stickers. I like that. Yeah, he gave me some stickers. Um, so he uh, he won his first pod 3-0'd. Then I think when they posted the second pods, he's like, wait, my name's not on here. And apparently they dropped him from the event for whatever reason. And he's like, I don't want to drop him 3 And they're like, oh, okay, sure. Uh... We can't do anything other than put you into the filler pod. So they put him in like the last pod of players. And he's in like a five-person draft pod. And probably everybody who's in this five-person draft pod doesn't feel like too great about the event. So I think two or three people... I think two people from that uh, pod dropped like immediately after the draft. And then he <coughs> paired up against somebody who dropped, so he got a buy. And then because there was two people who dropped without like saying anything, one of those per people got a win. And so he paired up against the person who got a win and actually left, so he got another buy. <laughs> <laughs> this is so cursed. And then, All right. and, Not then, for him. and then the next and then the next round he gets paired up against me who registered his deck. Oh my god! And we were both playing Icelander, but obviously he's so you have both seen every card in each other's thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously, like he's drafting in like a five-person pot. His deck isn't going to be as good as mine. Oh, that could mean his deck's even better than yours, right? Because he's potentially getting everything. Uh, yeah, but usually, like the pool of cards is less, so you have like less overall power level. So it's think about it this way: like if you're in a two Icelander pod with, uh. With like eight like people going around, but <clears throat> theoretically you could be like you're you're in a pod with three to four fives and you're one of those three to four. Yeah, and he's the only one of his hero in his pod because that's really easy to be when it's five people. Yeah, but so. yeah, but like especially like if you're drafting <laughs> Icelander, I think for five, it, it, like if you're in a five person pod and you're draft five and then you're like the only five, I think your deck is probably going to be as good or better than somebody from an eight person pod. But if you're in like a five-person draft, like dude, a lot of the packs for Icelander are just like straight up terrible. It's like a, your pack is like a red brain freeze and a yellow read the ripples. His yeah. deck that I registered for him had six copies of read the ripples. And I don't really blame him after hearing that he was in a five-person pod. It's just like, what are you going to do? Like when I first started registering, I was like, oh yeah, like this deck is pretty good. And then I started going, oh, it's two red read the ripples, two yellow read the ripples, two blue read the ripples. And it's just like... I mean, they just there's no cards to pick from, you know. You made top eight then, right? Yeah, he made top eight. That's so funny. 
And I mean, like, uh, yeah, I don't consider it a bad beat start because, you know, I lost round but, five. And, but to, to clarify, you, you won that game against him. Yeah, yeah, I won that game. You I, beat him, yep. and then he made top eight instead after he, he went bye-bye long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, a, that's a good beat story for him. Yeah, he, he had the best beats. Three tendies. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't consider that beat story because round five I lost to J-Mags and... I kind of freaked out a little bit after the game, not like in a, not in like a, a bad way. I was just like really upset because I basically had the win, but I just like my brain exploded and I just like made I the know, wrong play. How that feels. Yeah, and I just made the wrong play. Like mad at yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those events are long, man. I was, I had nothing left at the end. Same. So yeah, that's that's my that's my funny story. I got one funny story. Yeah. Um, so I I'm in the calling, and I'm paired up against uh, Joshua Lau on uh, Dory. And we get to the end of the game, and he comes in with this like massive uh, Dawn Blade round. Where he's like, Steel Blade supremacy, Steel Blade supremacy. Uh, go again on Dawn Blade. Come in for a million damage, and I'm like. Okay, I agree. You get my whole hand. You did it. Block with everything. Um, and I have a card left in hand and a card set. And he pumps over with uh, an attack reaction from hand to make it hit. So then I play the card from my hand, and it's a sink below. Fully blocked. He still has one card left in hand. And he tanks for, like, way too long. And I, I if it weren't for how much time we had on the clock, and it was like, this is clearly big turn of the game i probably would have been like yo slow play but I, I could see that this 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 decision mattered and after like three or four minutes he finally says something he's like i think this is my only line i think i think this is the only way to win if i get that and then i'm like oh you got a uh shimmering steel blade what's the what's the tutor whatever the, the, Sing, the singing, singing steel blade I think. Singing Steel Blade, thank you. Um, and we kind of talk out loud about the line because it was pretty face up that he had it. Yeah. And uh was like, is there any out at this point? We're both just talking about the, like what his lines could be here because we're both just enjoying the game. It's it's not about win or lose. It's like, let's just enjoy the best game we can. And he's like, okay, I think this is my only out. And he, But it was a one card in his deck out. He needed to play that to tutor for is it glint the quicksilver the one that uh reprised card. Card. yeah and then oh no yeah he had to go for that because he didn't play a go again so he needed to play that to get the go again to then draw a card off the top and it had to be the only twinning left in the deck and it was like 30 cards left in deck or something it was a one of one out um and he's shuffling 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 gives me to gives it to me to cut and i ask him you want me to give the the top of the deck a wet kiss for good luck and he's like no 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 we'll just roll a d6 afterwards and put that many cards in the bottom i go no wet kiss or nothing and <laughs> hand, hands me a water bottle i wet my lips pull the mask down give it a nice little and then we flip over the top of the deck together and it's the one of twinning. We have a massive crowd around us. Everyone goes crazy. <laughs> like three or four judges come over and they're like, what is going on? And they all yell at us. Yo, be quiet. There's games going on around you. And we were nuts going nuts. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. It's the one of out. 
that's great. Your decision didn't matter. I have another sink below an arsenal. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's so good. <laughs> oh my god. I, I will walk out the next on blade swing. <laughs> and he was like, oh no. <laughs> and oh, we fist bump and then uh, talk about the game for a bunch after wait, that. How, that wait, was... how do you sink below his other dawn? His dawn blade is swinging for seven. Sorry, it was a uh, one one um, what's it called? One of the draw two. So oh, okay. five, uh, and I had one point of armor. So it, it, it must it must have been a different uh, a pump in there, not double yeah. uh, supremacy. Um, but it was a big round, and <laughs> <laughs> the, the look in his face. Oh, so great! I gave him hope just to suck the entire soul out of him. <laughs> hey, you're you're a bad person. That's so good. <laughs> oh my god! I, I have two really quick ones. Yeah. Ooh, go, 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 go. Um. One was a funny story for everyone, I think. During deck registration for a draft, uh, the first draft, the judges gave us five minutes to oh write down everybody's cards. <laughs> so after five minutes, the judge is like, please raise your hand and call the judge if you're not done registering. And at the same time, the entire room yells, judge. That was so and it was funny. Such a fun moment to be a part of. Like, that's not enough time. <laughs> I was actually done, like, but like, <laughs> yes, yes. You need at least like that. Um, the second one was before my quarterfinal match with Brody. We were just hanging out because we're, we're teammates. Um, mm. Just chatting about, I don't know, everything. Um, but like the whole weekend, I was doing a really good job of like mentally resting between rounds, but then like five, 10 minutes before just getting into the state of like hyper-focused. Mm-hmm. Um, like I was really good at like getting in the zone on demand, which is was something new for me. I'm gonna hopefully keep triggering that in the future. But so I, I told Brody like, "Hey, in like a minute or two, I'm gonna get up and try to forget we're friends for the next 40 minutes so I can focus up." Um, and right after I say that, I check my phone and there's a Facebook notification and it says "Birthdays today, Brody Spurlock." I'm like what? <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, is it your birthday? immediately broke all of my focus that I was starting and I had to like start over. I was like, Oh my just God, I got to play my teammate on his birthday in the corner. It's like, oh, him. Funny. Later. destroy him. Yeah. I told the uh, commentators though. I'm glad they mentioned it on stream. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. All right. Brody, Brody is insane. He, that kid is going to be, Oh my God. Yeah. I, I am afraid to see what he's going to look like years from now as a player. Like, He's this good already, and that kid is so smart. He's he's gonna be one of the best players in the world at at some point soon. If not, yeah. he'll be. I wouldn't be surprised if he wins worlds. If yeah. not, he'll be one of the best uh, orchestral conductors. Is, is that is that a thing he does when he's tanking? Have you have you ever seen him tank? <laughs> oh, no, no. I haven't played with him in person before. I oh, that's funny. Yeah, he's like conducting. I understand. He's conducting a symphony. Well, we'll take a video next time. Yeah, yeah. I need to see this. All right, uh, we're nearing the fifty-minute mark. Um, do you have? Do you guys have anything? Add any projects that you wanna that you wanna push? I should have said this at the beginning of the podcast. We're on rate this podcast. I actually read some pretty nice reviews that people have left for us on Apple Podcasts. Maybe we'll read them out at the beginning of the next episode. Uh, well, I'm actually about to start streaming. Uh, I'm gonna be figuring that out later this week. So if you guys wanna. Check me out on uh, YouTube. It's just Fino Black. 
I'm going to be doing some like Talishar streaming, like, I don't know, maybe two times a week, just messing around with decks and just hanging out with chat and stuff. I figured uh, the uh, that'd be fun. I've been watching other people streaming on Talishar, and it seems like the been a pretty active community on there just people hanging out and having a good time and it looked like fun i figured i'd give it a shot myself so if you guys want to check me out go subscribe and do you have any any things you want to promote yeah i mean nothing personal right now you can find me on twitter at my name or disc golf dan but at nationals ung had announced our little team we were working on uh ung myself uh brody spurlock and shane martin uh we don't have a name yet or I think we're sticking to us for for a little while uh, as we grow as a as a team. But you can look out for a team name announcement once we have one, and we'll be putting out some content as well. I think first we'll be putting out a in depth deck tech about the file list. I think we're hoping to go into quite some detail about like different play lines and game plan versus all the decks. But I'd say yeah, keep your eyes out for that. All right, sounds good. Thank you, Dan, so much for joining us. And... Yep, thank you guys. Congratulations again. Yep, congratulations yeah, thank you, on the thank finish. You. Appreciate it.